Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4, as we continue our study in this great uh, book of Esther. Uh, Esther chapter 4. And uh, you remember that the book of Esther does not mention God. Uh, The name Jehovah or Lord uh, is completely missing from the book. There's no mention of prayer in the book, but this book belongs in the Bible. It's in there. It's a part of God's inspired word and demands that we as readers be engaged in the book. Uh, As you read and are engaged in this book, uh, how do you interpret the book? Well, the Bible is making you come to an interpretation. Uh, You have to believe either that it is Scripture or it is not. Now, if it is not Scripture, then we're wasting our time. We just go home and and forget about it. All right? If it's not Scripture, we're wasting our time. And we waste our time studying it. But if it is Scripture, then why do we believe it is Scripture? And how do you interpret the book? There are three, I think, basic interpretations that people have concerning the book of Esther. Esther and Mordecai were evil Jewish people. They were just looking to bring glory to themselves. That's one way of looking at it. Uh, uh, Or we could be neutral about them. We just don't know if they're good people or they're bad people. That could be another way of looking at it. Or we could believe that they are Jewish believers who desire to follow the Lord but are living out of the will of God in this present situation. And that's what I've been teaching in our study thus far. I believe uh, they are God's people, but they're living out of the will of God. They shouldn't be where they are, but they, they are where they are, where life has given uh, put them. And someone has said, well, the way you interpret the book is an interpretation on you. As you understand Scripture, it's a commentary on you. As you comment on Scripture, you're commenting on yourself. Is this book God's holy word to you? And do you believe what God is saying in this particular book? Now, if you come to this book like you would with any other book, with a worldly philosophy that says, well, it's just a book of stories, it's a book of myths, uh, it's just fables, it's just... Uh, uh, some good stories and some bad stories and so forth. It's just a book. Um, uh, it has some nice things to say. It has some interesting things to say, but it's really not relevant to my life today. Then that's a commentary on yourself. As a commentary on your thinking. But if you believe that this is God's word and it's the basis for your faith and practice, then that's a commentary on your life as well even when you come to the book of Esther. Now, this chapter is going to reveal to us four very important principles, I think, and we've given them just one word, reaction, refuge, reason, and resignation. So let's look at the first one, reaction, verses 1 through 3. It says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And he came even before the king's gate, for none might enter in the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in 
every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, uh, if you're visiting this morning, you probably are not up to speed with the uh, where we're at here in this book, but in uh, the book of Esther, uh, Esther is uh, uh, become the queen after uh, the king got rid of Vashti because he she wouldn't do what he told her to do, and so he just got rid of her and uh, told her to take a hike, and she took a hike, and so he said, "I need a new queen," and so uh, he adds a bunch of uh, uh, of the the women of the uh, kingdom to come in, and he chose Queen. Uh, to, uh, Esther to be his queen, and then, uh, yet she was a Jew, and her uncle Mordecai was a Jew, and he told her him told her not to tell the king that she was a Jew because that might make it bad for her. Well, then Haman comes along, and he's appointed to a high position, and Mordecai is a Jew as well, and he doesn't bow to Haman, and so Haman makes a plan writes up a decree that all of these people will be destroyed. All the Jews should be destroyed. And we talked about that anti-Semitism last last Sunday. But now we find here, first of all, the reaction uh, here in these verses. The reaction of Mordecai and the reaction of the people in every province. Uh, Mordecai believed the decree. He tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he cries with a loud and bitter cry. But there's no indication that it's a cry to God. Uh, if anything, the word bitter here might indicate to us that it was a cry against God. But I want you to notice here, there's no, also no call to prayer. Again, I believe these people are out of the will of God, and people who are out of the will of God do not think to pray. They ask themselves, well, how am I going to get out of this situation? What can I come up with? What kind of ideas can I come up with to get out of the difficulty that I'm in? They often don't go to God. They don't ask him to deliver them from the situation. Now, we do notice here some some sort of ritual because they were religious people, and they think that by fasting and weeping and wailing and sackcloth and ashes, they can do something about their dilemma. They believed the decree. After all, it was the law of the Medes and the Persians. It was not, could not be changed. It was unalterable. Uh, there was nothing they could do about it, nor anybody could do anything about it. They were doomed. As a result, they mourned. Even as God's people, they didn't think that God could do anything for them. Isn't that the way we think sometimes? Something happens and brings a dilemma into our lives, and we think, well, there's nothing that can be done. Uh, What will be, will be. The government passes a law, or the Supreme Court gives a ruling, and we think, well, that's it, we're doomed. Can't do anything about it. We may even go through some religious rituals, but we don't believe God can do anything about it. Listen, God has given a decree God's decree is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says the wages of sin is death. But you know, many people don't believe that today. They don't believe the decree. The average person today does not believe, but God says death passed upon all men for all that have sinned. He also said it is appointed unto men once to die, 
But after this, the judgment. I'm afraid the thing that is absent even today is conviction concerning sin in the hearts of unsaved and saved as well. When was the last time you heard someone cry out to God for mercy? When was the last time you heard someone weep over their sin? There is a great lack of sorrow about sin today. Why? It's because people don't believe God. They don't believe that their sin merits punishment. They don't believe God intends to enforce punishment against sin and the sinner who rejects Christ. So let me ask you today, what is your reaction to God's decree? What is your reaction to sin? Look at verse 4. It said, And Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take him uh, take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. It would seem that she doesn't know of the decree, and when she finds out, she finds out about Mordecai's actions, she sends him new clothes. Maybe she said, you know, I don't know what his problem is, but I'm going to send him a new outfit. Get him some new clothes. He'll feel better then if you get some new clothes, right? Is that the way it works for you? When you get into a trial or discourage, you go on a shopping spree and you buy a bunch of new clothes? Does that help? Well, you might feel good for a little bit. Boy, look, pretty nice uh, threads got here, you know. Then you get to, back to reality and you find out the situation hasn't changed. The trial is still there. The new clothes didn't take away the trial. Take away the trial. So Mordecai, he refuses the clothes, and this because that's not what he needed. So we find here the reaction. Secondly, we find a refuge. Now, speaking of the clothing, let's just use that analogy of the way people often face the difficulties of life, and especially sin. Quite often today, people refuse to believe that they are a sinner, and the clothing or the covering or the of religion will not remove the fact that a man is guilty before God. And religion can't alter the fact that the wages of sin is death. Now, people deal with sin in many different ways. They reach for a refuge to hide themselves from the penalty of sin. They try to clean up. They try to dress up. They try to cover up. But it does no good. They're still sinners. Now let's look at some of these garments that people use to cover up sin. The first one is the garment of denial. Some people think, well, sin is just a mistake. I just made an error. I made an error in judgment. So what? I just made a little mistake, right? It's true. that all have sinned and come short, that is, missed the mark of the glory of God. But sin is not just a mistake. When people think this way, they think they're not responsible. I didn't do it on purpose. It was just a mistake. It's not my fault. I didn't mean to do it. But you know what? God still holds us responsible for sin. And so there's the garment of denial. They try to put this garment on and, and cover up their sin. Then there's the, the, the garment of reformation. Again, there's a refusal to acknowledge the reality of sin. They reach out for any garment that might hide them from the sin. They try to put on the clothes of reformation. I'll just do better next time. I'm 
I blew it this time, but I'm going to do better. Today, I'm not going to make any mistakes. Today, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have any errors in my life. I'm just going to try to do better. I'll quit doing that sin. I'll get reformed. Someone has said the modern pulpit has become a place where mild-mannered man gets up before a group of mild-mannered people and urges them to be more mild-mannered. Listen, it's no wonder churches are not making more of an impact for Christ in the days in which you live. We don't need reformation. We don't need reforming. We need to see people regenerated. Born again. Changed. Completely changed. Not just reformed. If your life is not going in a positive direction and you seem to be having trouble on every side, perhaps the thing you need is not to quit uh, getting in trouble... You need to be born again, changed by the power of God. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, was religious. But our Lord said to him, you must be born again. We need a new nature because we have a sinful nature, and that sinful nature is not going to get us to heaven. You have to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him. He died on the cross for you. He took your place and He's already paid the penalty of sin. All you have to do is accept what He's done for you. And if you do, or if you do do that and you go to heaven, it's because you trust the one who died for you. Now there's another kind of fancy clothes that people wear to cover up their sin. And that's education. That's education. Now, having spent a good number of years as a teacher, you know I'm not against education. Listen, young people, if you're in school right now, that's God's will for your life. Between the ages of kindergarten and 12th grade, that is God's will for your life right now. You don't have to pray, well, Lord, show me your will. No, your will is, or God's will is that you be in school right now. Now, as you near graduating from high school, you probably should start seriously talking to God and praying, asking God, what do you want me to do after I graduate? What do you want me to do? Now, I believe, personally, a minimum of one year in a Bible college would be a great idea. And if God leads you to continue, then continue. If God leads you to do something else, then do something else. But just make sure you're doing God's will. But you know what? All the education in the world will not make your sin right. Some have said sin is selfishness. And what you have to do is just educate people not to be selfish. No. That's a condition of the heart. And the heart needs to be regenerated. Some years ago, a so-called religious scholar gave a definition for sin. He said, sin is the backward pull of an outworn good. Now, Think about that a little bit. Sin is the backward pull of an outworn good. Now, if you take away all the modifiers, in that sense, I did teach English too, but if you take all the modifiers out, what you have is sin is good. You know what? That's what they're trying to teach our young people today. There was a time, and I think the idea is still around when it was thought that all you had to do is make the world a better place, to make the better, uh, world a better place is to educate people. If you could just educate people, you'd get rid of sin. 
You know, educate young people about sex and you'll get rid of the disease. You'll get the, uh, rid of the problem of unwanted babies. Is that true? No. You need more than education to get rid of sin. But that's a garment that people try to put on to try to hide their sin. And then there's the garment of religion. Many times people actually join churches to escape from God. Now, you say, that's a strange statement. But you know what? It's true. They try to insulate them, uh, themselves from evangelism. You ask them, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Methodist. Uh, I, I'm a, I even go to the, went to the Baptist church when I was young. I don't know how many times I've heard that. I used to go to the Baptist church. People think that, you know, if I just do my duty and I go to church at least two times a year, or if I'm really going to be religious, I might make it once or twice a month. Or so they put on this garment of religion and they think that makes them feel better. But the garment of religion is not what they need. They need the righteousness of Christ because that's the only thing that will enable them to stand before God. When you stand before God and you say, well, I went to church. You might even say, I went to church every Sunday. God's not going to ask you what your church attendance was. He's going to ask you, did you put on the garment of the righteousness of Christ? Mordecai could have ignored the decree. He could have put on the new clothes. He could have gotten cleaned up, but that wouldn't change the fact that he was a Jew and that he was sentenced to die. The garments of denial and reformation and education and religion do not cover up the, our nakedness before a holy and just God. The fig leaves were not adequate for Adam and Eve. They had to be clothed with that which God provided. Not only... Will Christ forgive sins? He will clothe you in the robe of righteousness, giving us an eternal standing before God. And that's the only refuge that will take care of sin. And so we have a reaction here. We have a refuge here. But thirdly, we have a reason. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the cha king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. So why is all of this happening? What is Mordecai? Why is Mordecai in sackcloth and ashes? What's the reason? I'm sure Esther was wanting to know. So we find here Mordecai's explanation, verse 7. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that had been given at Shushan to destroy them and to show it unto the Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go into the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. So here we have Mordecai sending the message back to Queen Esther, which said, in effect, the reason I'm in sackcloth and ashes is because our people, and you and I included, have come under an awful decree of death. And he gave the messenger a copy of the decree so that Esther could read it for herself. 
And I wish uh, the, the people who say that the Bible does not teach that man is a sinner would read what God's Word says. I wish they'd take the Bible and read it for themselves. It's right there. It's all in black and white. If they would read it, they will see that God declares that we are sinners and we're under the sentence, the decree of death. So we have Mordecai's explanation, but then we have Esther's reply, verse 10. And Esther spake unto Hatak and gave commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whatsoever, whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king unto the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king hath hold, shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. Now it was the custom of that day that anyone who dared to go into the presence of the king without being summoned, they would automatically be put to death unless the king extended his scepter to them. King Ahasuerus was noted for his fits of temper, and he could uh, have put his, his queen to death if she'd, not, if she'd gone in without being called. Remember, he got rid of Queen Vashti because she didn't do what he wanted, and he could have just as easily got written, rid of Queen Esther to not, for not following his instructions as well. And so we come to Mordecai's answer in verse 12, and they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdeth thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to this kingdom for such a time as this? For such a time as this. This is where we took our title from of our message this morning. But Mordecai's answer is most significant. Just because she was the queen did not exempt her from the decree. And later we're going to find out that King Ahasuerus does not yet know that she's a Jew. And Mordecai goes on to say that if Esther holds her peace, and then deliverance will come from another source. It kind of makes you wonder what Mordecai had in mind when he said deliverance would rise from another place. What other place was there to which they could turn? Where could deliverance come from except from God? He was their only hope at this time. And Mordecai was acquainted with the promises of God that were made to Abraham. And so Mordecai challenges Esther. The king was a world ruler. Would deliverance come from the north or the east or the south or the west? Yet there's not another person on the earth who could deliver her. And we see God by his providence moving in the affairs of this nation. It was not just coincidence that Esther became the queen. It was not luck or good fortune or an accident. She was there for a purpose. And God had been arranging this all the time. He had prepared, uh, he was prepared for this event. God knows what is coming. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. God knows what's going to happen this week. 
That's why we can trust him. When we put our hand in his hand, he has the power to hold us. He knows what's going to happen next day, the next day, the next month, and the next year. I think it's interesting to see how God works, how he moves in the affairs of this world, that at such a time of this brings certain ones to fulfill his plans. I've heard people use that phrase from time to time to bring attention to the way God works for such a time as this. I think of Abraham. He was called of God in a day when the world was departing from God. Through him, God brought the Savior into the world. Abraham was used for such a time as this. I think of Moses. According to Ezekiel, Moses was a man who stood in the gap and was raised at such a time as this to deliver his people. I think of David. While King Saul, Satan's man, was putting his nation into sin and idolatry, God was training a shepherd boy to be a king. David came for such a time as this. I think of John the Baptist. He was a single voice crying in the wilderness. His was the first voice in God's behalf after 400 years of silence, and he came for such a time as this. I think of Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul. But Saul of Tarsus, he hated Christ. He hated the church. But God would save him and use him for such a time as this. And we could go on and on and on with many, many more examples some well-known and some so not so well-known, who were there and raised up for such a time as this. And so that's the reason. That's the reason. So we have the reaction, the refuge, and the reason, but then we have the resignation. Verse 15. Then Esther bade them, Return Mordecai, Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days nor uh, night nor day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go in unto the king which is not according to the law and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Now you notice there at the end of verse 16, she says, if I perish, I perish. Now that's quite a statement, is it not? It reminds me of another who said, for even the Son of God came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. And Christ also said, I lay down my life that I might take it up again or might take it again, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. John ten seventeen and 18. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He gave his life a ransom for many. He came from heaven's glory to perish, to die for you and for me, that we might be saved, that we might never perish, but have everlasting life. It was much, it was more, much more than Esther's statement. Jesus Christ came, gave his life a ransom for many. Esther was resigned to die if necessary to save her people. Now these are the words of a noble woman. She tells Mordecai to gather all the Jews in the city together to fast. She and her maidens would do the same. She would go to the king for help and she was willing to perish if need be. 
Now, even though it talks about fasting, you notice it doesn't say fasting and prayer. Now, even it says nothing about prayer. Why doesn't she pray? Again, I believe it's because she's out of the will of God. Why don't the Jews pray? They too are out of the will of God. Remember Jonah? Jonah was on a boat running away from God. Nothing is said there about prayer. He's out of the will of God. He shouldn't have been on that boat. You know, it's hard to pray when you're out of the will of God. It's possible that some of these Jews did pray, but certainly not mentioned here. And so Esther's decision to go before the king is a very courageous act. But listen, there's someone who did something even more noble. He left the glories of heaven and took upon himself human flesh. He did not say, if I perish, I perish. He said, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. It's interesting to note that Mordecai's resignation there in the last verse, he had raised Esther and she had obeyed him all of her life. Now he went his way and did what Esther commanded him to do. He was resigned to do what he was commanded to do. I wonder today, what is your reaction to matters of life and death? What is your reaction to sin? Is In what refuge of man's making are you trying to hide your sinful life? I wonder, do you re- recognize the reason things are the way they are? Why are, where you, uh, why are you where you are today? Do you recognize that perhaps God has a, you in a place for such a time as this? And I wonder this morning, are you resigned to obeying God's will or your own? I think those are things that we need to be thinking about this morning. As we bow our heads...